Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we're joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, My Story. For more information, please visit us at communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. Hope to see you there.
soon you're 11, then pretty soon, got some nods, you're 20, and then you're 30, and before you know it, your number's closer to the 60 than it is the rest of them. And what we do with all those years is we craft something called my story. And here's the good news. The good news this morning is no matter what your story has been up until this point in time, what God wants to do is he wants to take that story and he wants to make it the best story possible. And he has the ability to not only to change the future, but also to change the past. And um, I'll tell you what, let's, I think we've got to thank the band for that song again. That was just, that was terrific. Oh. All right, I'll tell you what. Uh, here, here's where I want to start. How many, how many of you are familiar with, um, familiar with the, the Cone of Shame? Cone of Shame? Some of you are chucking a little bit. Now, actually, technically, I think it's supposed to be called an Elizabethan collar. Doesn't that sound glamorous? An Elizabethan collar. But the cone of shame was actually, I think everybody started calling it the cone of shame back in, uh, I think it was 2009 with the movie Up. Remember, remember Doug? Remember Doug, our buddy here? I don't like the cone of shame. And ever since then, right? Ever since he said that, it's been the cone of shame. Now, um, I don't, uh, I, I'm not a dog or cat owner, but from what I understand, the purpose of the device is they're supposed to keep dogs or cats from both biting themselves or licking themselves or they've injured themselves or they've had a surgery or something. But the truth is, I don't think any pet is ever happy with the cone of shame. I mean, take, take a look at this little corgi here, right? Oh, right? I mean, he's just, look at, he looks stressed, doesn't he? Or how about, how about Fluffy the cat? Def, <laughs> def, <laughs> definitely not amused by the cone of shame. <laughs> now, there was one innovative cat, one innovative cat, who discovered how to redeem, how to redeem the cone of shame. Take a look at this. This just cracked me up. Quick video here. Watch this. Oh. Very clever, right? Uh, it's a shame that in some countries those are actually eaten. But um. <laughs> Sorry, he got to throw in a cat joke. Um. We are, we're in week three. We're in week three, right? And this has been a great story, a great series called My Story. And, uh, you know, we get, some, we get some grins out of the cone of shame and stuff. But the truth is we look over our shoulder at our own stories. The story that we've written called My Story. There's lots of it that, I mean, when it comes to shame, there's no laughing matter. And there's, there's things that we've experienced. We've talked about this in this series. Some of us, we, 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 we have, like John talked about last week, experienced addiction. And, and some of us, like we talked about two weeks ago, we deal with, with very real fear. Um, we're going to talk about next week, and you want to be with Pastor Oscar, we talk about failure. But here's what we're going to talk about today, and, and this is the thing that I think is a part of so many of our stories, is this thing called shame. Shame. One of the guys, one of the, the guy who wrote the kind of the key verse for our series, he knew this feeling of shame so, so, so well. His old story, his old story had, I mean, paragraphs, I mean, chapters of his life were, were, were filled with huge mistakes, great regrets, and, and, and shame. In fact, his name's Paul. And Paul, before he became a Christ follower, 
He was so opposed to the movement that Jesus started, this movement of love that Jesus started, that his life ambition was to arrest and even kill followers of Jesus. Now, for those of you who've been around church for a while, to kind of put it in perspective, a historical perspective, this is a guy who, you remember a few weeks ago when the Taliban uh, uh, had, there were like 70 Christians were murdered on Easter Day and, and 340 were injured in, in that park where the bomb went off in Pakistan? You remember that story? Paul, okay, would have been a part of that. That gives you a little perspective on who this guy was. Now, in spite of his past, he was able to let God write a brand new story with his life And in this moment of inspiration, he says this. He says, here's what I've discovered. Anyone who belongs to Christ, who becomes a follower of Jesus and part of his movement of love, has become a brand new person. The old life is gone, and the new life begins. And what he discovered is that when you find your way back to God, and that's why many of you are here, you're in that journey, what happens is this, that your old story, no matter what it might have been, it becomes, it's old now, and what God begins to do is write a brand new story with your life. Now, uh, we may not actually kind of wear the, the cone of shame, but in many of our stories, shame, I think, is kind of in the subtext. It's kind of written between every line. Shame is. So for us to really, I think, grapple with this thing that haunts us, what, what is shame? Okay, shame is this. Here, here it is in, in kind of a definition. Shame is this deep sense that you are unacceptable. There's just something about me that's just unacceptable. And it comes from one of two places, because of something you did or because of something that was done to you. Did you get that? Something that you did or something that was done to you. It can come from a decision we made, and now we deeply regret it. It might, it might have been a decision you made this weekend. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe even decades ago. But that pain is in your memory and it's fresh in your mind. It might be a relationship that you destroyed. And and for the life of you, you still don't understand exactly the the dynamics and why you did it. But you'll never, you got this feeling, I'm never going to feel whole again. Or it might be a failure. And every time you think about that failure, I mean, it's it's like how we blew it. This this growing kind of sense of of, I'm never going to measure up just wells up inside. So shame can come from something that we've done But it could also come from something that was actually just done to us. It might be something we had no control over. It might be something that wasn't our fault. And we know, we know if we were asked, we could say, no, I was not in the wrong. But we've left that experience ever since feeling like something was wrong with us. You know what I'm talking about? I'm unacceptable. That's shame. Now, I think it's also important, before I go any further, to kind of clarify. Shame is not the same thing as guilt, okay? You have shame and you also have guilt. Now, guilt, on the one hand, guilt kind of says, I did something wrong. But what shame does, shame says, there's something wrong with me. Guilt says, I need forgiveness. And what shame says is, you know what, I'm not worthy of forgiveness. Shame says, I need to change, okay? I'm sorry, guilt says, I need to change. But shame says, I can't change. And while guilt is focused on a particular behavior, what shame does is shame gets focused on self. And, and guilt, different than shame, guilt can actually be a very appropriate kind of emotion. Guilt is this kind of this feeling that we have when we do something wrong that goes like, you know what, no, I need, I need forgiveness. I need to pursue reconciliation. It can be very appropriate. But shame, on the other hand, this thing we're talking about shame, it's deeper, it's destructive, 
It's debilitating, and it can actually bring tragic endings to our stories. Now, shame. Shame is something that all of us struggle with. In fact, one of the most powerful leaders in all the world struggled with this thing called shame. His name was Moses, and we pick up his life story in the book of Exodus. Let me kind of bring you up to speed about Moses. Here we go. Moses was born in Egypt, and when God's people, the Hebrews, they'd fallen out of favor with the Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh was worried about this growing population of the Hebrew people. And so what he does is he orders all the baby boys to be killed. Just slaughter them all. Well, Moses' parents, what they do is they actually hide him in a basket in the Nile River to protect him. And that's when Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Miraculously, okay, miraculously, Moses' life is saved. He actually gets to grow up in the palace of Pharaoh. Now, what it sounds like, it sounds like, wow, everything's going to work out great for Moses. This is awesome. But then the shadow of shame kind of follows him, creeps up on Moses. Moses, even though he grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh, he discovers he's a Hebrew. And this becomes a real struggle for him. And it actually comes to the surface one day when he sees the Hebrew slaves who are, who are, who are working for the Pharaoh's people, laboring hard for Pharaoh's people. And he sees this Egyptian uh, guard viciously beating a Hebrew slave. Inside Moses, something just kind of snaps. He loses it. He attacks the Egyptian. Savagely kills him. And then he tries to cover up the crime. Well, eventually, news of Moses murdering, the guard gets out. The Pharaoh goes on a hunt, has his people go on a hunt to try to kill, now take out Moses. And so Moses runs, runs for the desert, runs for his life. And Moses takes off. He tries, he tries to start a brand new life. The shadow of shame follows him wherever he goes. Not only does he feel this shame because of what he's done, okay? What has he done now? He's a murderer. He's killed somebody. But he also feels a certain amount of shame because of who he is. Because he went from being in the Pharaoh's, the Pharaoh's palace, being a prince there, to now he's actually a shepherd out in the wilderness. And if you look at in Genesis, it actually describes kind of what it's like to be a shepherd. It says, for all the shepherds were detestable to the Egyptians. I mean, probably uh, where, 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 where Moses grew up, he had, he had uncles who probably told jokes about being a shepherd. He had aunts who kind of turned up their noses at being shepherds. And so he had gone from being in the palace. Like, I mean, he'd gone from kind of hanging out with Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett. I mean, imagine that kind of, I mean, really, that kind of elite of elite of elite. And now he's like, I don't know what, working drive through at White Castles or something, okay? That's what you got going on here. And so years after years, decades after decades go by, and shame, and the shame follows him wherever he goes. Forty years. Forty years of waiting and wondering who might be looking over his shoulder, aware of his past. 40 years of suppressing that shameful incident, hiding his true identity, pretending it didn't happen. 40 years of embarrassment about both what he had done and also who he'd become. And then one day, one day while he's tending his sheep, he sees this burning bush. And this bush just keeps burning and burning and burning. And he goes over to check it out. And as he walks over to check it out, all of a sudden, he hears God speak to him through this burning bush. And he says, Moses. Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. And then God continues to speak and he says, I am the God, your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob. He says, Moses, I've seen the misery of your people. 
in Egypt. I'm concerned about their suffering. And God continues to speak directly to Moses, and he gets very personal. And here's what he says. He says, here's what I want you to do. Moses, I want you to go. I'm sending you to the Pharaoh, back to the Pharaoh. I want you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. But then Moses says this. Look at Moses. Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I want you to look closely at that verse there. What's Moses' first response? Help me out. What's he saying there? What is it a little louder? Who am I, right? Who am I? Can you hear the shame in that? Who am I? The sense that I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I'm unacceptable. In fact, Moses all caused all sorts of objections to God's proposal. But God doesn't back down from, from what he's asking Moses to do. But Moses isn't easily convinced. So Moses goes on and he says this. Moses answers, but, but what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? What if, what if, what if? What, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Over and over again. And then the Lord said to him, What's in your hand? <laughs> what? Are you tracking with this conversation? It's like God has, a, you know, ADD or something. Like, what's in your hand? You know, squirrel. What? 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 What's going on there? Right? Why is he saying that? What's in your hand? What a strange question for God to suddenly ask Moses. What's in your hand? What does he mean? What's in your hand? Why would God ask him that? What's in your hand? Anybody know? Anybody know? You can talk back to me on this one. Anybody know what was in Moses' hand? Yeah. He actually had a, uh, had a stick in his hand, didn't he? A big stick. I'll tell you what, go ahead and grab your stick, okay? Why don't you hold on to that? Now, if we were really cool around here, we would have gotten you a big staff, every one of you. Wouldn't have been awesome? You know, like a thousand staffs, right? But we really couldn't afford it, so what we do is we got you a stick. All right? Hold your stick. You got your stick? Got your stick? There it is, right there. All right? Now understand, in ancient Egypt, there were different kinds of sticks, okay? You need to know this. If you kind of look at this, this picture, here's one picture here. This is an Egyptian ruler here, and we'll kind of zoom in here. What you have here is you have, you have a crook and a, a, I think they call it a flail, right? A crook and a flail. And the flail actually had three prongs here. And what those were were really symbols that Egyptian rulers would use of kind of the, their divine power, their royalty. And so whenever you saw these kinds of sticks, all right, that's kind of like the presidential seal. You knew what was ever behind that had real power. That was powerful. But then there was another kind of stick. And here's a shepherd. If we zoom in here, what do you see right there? A staff, right? The staff, that kind of a stick, was like a walking stick for a peasant. Or for someone who was elderly. Or for a shepherd. I mean, the crook and the flail to the staff were kind of like a Lamborghini to my Honda Civic. Okay? <laughs> You got the idea there? That's what we're talking about. And so as he holds this staff, in many ways, you know what this was? This was actually a symbol of Moses' shame. Let me remind you again. Moses was raised in the Egyptian culture. He was brought up actually in Pharaoh's palace. He was a prince, a place of tremendous power. He had tremendous prestige, tremendous position. And now here he is carrying the shepherd's staff. He's on the run. He's a murderer. He's afraid of being found out. He's ashamed. He's ashamed of his past actions, but he's also ashamed of lost opportunities. And so Moses has actually gone from the scepter of the Pharaoh's palace now to the staff of wilderness. And there, have to be, had, there had to be so many times when in the middle of the wilderness there, I mean, he'd look in his hand, 
and realize, man, what I could have been. What I could have done. How I blew it. How unfair it is. You ever feel those things? And yet here God is asking him to actually face his shame. He wants to redeem his story and use it to help others find freedom from their slavery. So see, God asking, hey Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? You know what, here's the deal, and I think maybe this is exactly why God brought you here this morning. I think God's asking the same question, what's your hand? What's in your hand? And here's, here's what I mean. Maybe it's not so much what's in your hand, but what is it that you are holding on to? Work with me on this, okay? If you want to get something out of what we're doing today, work with What are you holding on to? What is it you're holding on to that reminds you of your shame? And for some of us, you're going to have to go way back. It's a long time ago. And for some of us, it's something that we did. And for others, in moments of brutal honesty, no, you know what? It's actually something we are victims of. For some of us, nobody knows about it. For some of us, there's only a few people that know about it. And for some of us, we've kind of either literally or felt metaphorically kind of on the run for years now. But we all have it. We all have stuff we're holding on to. And see, that's why God stops and writes Moses. God, he says this, what, what, what's in your hand, Moses? What are you holding on to, Moses? And God proceeds. I love this so much, this story. He takes his object of shame, the thing that he's most embarrassed about, most humiliated by, the thing he, he, he hides from and hides other people from. And then God decides, I'm going to use that as an instrument of power for great good. Because here's the deal. If you go back, this is what's so cool. If you go back and you read the rest of the book of Exodus, which tells Moses' story, this staff right here, that was a symbol of his shame, guess what happens? You go to Exodus chapter 4. Okay, we'll quickly go through this on the screen here. Exodus 4. God turns to Moses and he says, that staff there, I'm going to do a miracle. I'm turning it into a snake. And he turns it into a snake, and that was a sign of power and presence. And he says, look, I'm going to prove to everybody that I appeared to you through that staff. We go on to Exodus 14. During the actual Exodus, where the children are leaving, okay, God tells Moses, I want you to raise your what? What do you tell him to raise? Raise what? Raise your staff. And when you raise your staff, guess what? The Red Sea is going to part, and my people are going to walk across on dry land. I'm going to use that staff. When the people needed water, when they got in the desert there, he says, here's what I want you to do. You take that, what? Staff, and you strike that rock, and all of a sudden, out of that rock is going to come water. When they, were, when they were in a great battle with their enemies, we go to continue in Exodus 17. He told Moses, Moses, as long as you hold your staff like that, you hold it high, you hold it high, you'll win the battle. When you drop that staff, you're going to start to lose. And that's exactly what happened. It was win, lose, win, lose. When he held it high, and what God does, please don't miss this, what God does, he redeems Moses' story by using the staff, the symbol of his shame. And in the course of that reminds him, Moses, you are not your past. You are not who others say you are. You are who I say you are. And that staff becomes a symbol, instead of shame, becomes a symbol of God's power at work in his life. So here's why this is an important question for you today. Every one of you in this room, what are you holding on to? What are you holding on to from the past? That keeps you from doing everything that God wants you to do and being everything that God wants you to be. 
And let me ask you, do you believe that God can redeem your story? Do you believe that he can redeem your shame? Do you believe that God can take your old story and actually write a brand new story? And I'll tell you what, I unequivocally absolutely do. Because I've seen God do it over and over and over again. I, I, wanna, um, I want you to hear from someone, from, not Moses, but someone from right here at Community, who saw God do that very thing in his life. And uh, here's Tayshawn's story. God was my metaphorical punching bag. Everyone needs someone to blame when their life isn't going proper, and that was who God was for me. My mother, she she met someone new. They made plans to remarry, and so we moved to Illinois. Moving here made me feel awful. I didn't really have friends as it, as it was. I definitely didn't like who I was. I felt like a better person would be more deserving of like a happy family and people who actually liked them. And wondering why I had those feelings just made me dislike myself more. The first few years, I knew that there was something missing in my life. So I tried to fill the void, got involved with a, with a bad crowd. I um, started experimenting with drugs. I didn't feel like I deserved uh, love like what God gives. So one day when I was 17, I was just walking through my neighborhood when I stumbled upon a community Christian. And I walked into one of their buildings and um, I stumbled upon a Stuco small group. And uh, they asked me to join. I started then going to Stuco. It was a really big and extravagant change from what I was used to. Definitely softened my heart. For the first time, I like fell in love with God. And I got like a sense of relief from everything that I was going through because I knew that there was a reason for it. I met my wife while I started uh, going to a small group for college students. They were having a taco party. I, I went to the taco party like not at all thinking that I was going to meet the love of my life. I thought that I was going to uh, just, you know, have tacos. And <laughs> After I got married, like, we lived in um, Aurora, and we would drive past Mooseheart all the time. Always wonder what it was. Mooseheart Child City and School is a community in which uh, they take in at-risk youth so that they can um, get out of some of the terrible situations that they're in to uh, lead successful lives as adults. I work there as a family teacher. So me and my wife, Elia, we uh, serve as custodial guardians throughout the school year. I see a lot of me in all of the children that I work with. I definitely give all of the credit to God because a lot of those kids are not going to have to go through the same things that I went through as a kid because God has blessed me with the ability to be there. Once a month, we do get to go off campus for church, in which I bring them to the community all the time because um, I found God there. If I could have them uh, find God like I did, 
that would be that would be amazing for me. I think me stumbling upon community was not only God, but had that not happened, it, my life would be completely different than what it is right now. I'll tell you what, I love, I love Tayshawn's story. Um, and I've been around and got to see kind of the beginning, middle, our, our beginning, middle, and what's the, the, at least the next few chapters. I remember him walking through here as a, as a high school kid, an at-risk kid. And he finds his way back to God. Now as a young adult, married him and his wife, God's redeeming his story. The, the shame that he felt that he talked about there, now he is working to help other at-risk kids. Is that awesome or what? Is that awesome? And here's the thing. Don't let, don't, don't let this be wasted on you. What made the difference in Tayshawn's story? What made the difference in Moses' story? What makes the difference is a life-giving encounter with God when you experience His grace, right? And you experience His forgiveness. It, it, it's like, like Paul said in our key verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said this. He said, here's what happened when I found my way back. He said, all of a sudden, everything became brand new. That old story, it's gone. I'm, and God is writing a brand new story with my life, and now he's using me for great good. And so here's what I ask you one more time. What, what is in your hand? What are you holding on to? What is it that stays with you in spite of your best efforts? You just, on your own, you can't let it go. And it might be something from your past. Maybe it's from something, I mean, really current. But it's this feeling of being unworthy, Unable to, to love or be loved, even by a, a God who's crazy about you. Because see, the staff that Moses carried with him every day was this constant reminder of his old story. And I'm telling you what, we all got it. I mean, there's times when I'm sitting down there, and there'll be whispers in my own head going like, who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are? You fake. You're not all that, Dave. And what that is is I think that's the evil one trying to drag me back, okay, into shame to keep me from living into a new story to be everything that God wants me to be. And we all got that. Now, here's what we have to do. And here's what God asks us to do. It's in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Look at this. He says this, if. And really the word if there is kind of when. Okay, when. Just think of it as when. When we confess our sins. And these sins here, here, this could be both ways. This is really important you get this. It could be sins that you did, okay, yourself, but it can also be sins that were done to you, that you, that you really weren't the culprit or responsible. Either way, sins that you did or sins that were did, done to you. If you confess those, say that out loud to God, He's faithful and just, and guess what? He'll do two things. He'll both forgive you for what you did, but He'll also cleanse us. Look at that. Cleanse us from all. Wherever this, wherever this nasty stuff came from, He'll cleanse us from all of that. We're going to do something a little different this morning for communion. Um, and I believe that God's nudging some people today and saying it's time. It's time for you to let that stuff go. To let go of the shame you've been holding on to. To let go of lies that you've believed for way, way, way too long. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to give you the opportunity to get up out of your seat. And we actually have, we have tables here and here, there, there, and then also up front. We want you to come forward and with this stick, okay? as a symbol of the stuff that you're holding on to, okay? Like Moses' shepherd's staff. 
It represents what's in your hand. It represents your shame. I'm going to give you a chance to get up, and we're going to ask everybody to kind of, you just go to your right. Okay, come down, then come back up to your left. Go to your right, come down, go back up to your left. To your right, come down, and back up to your left. All right? We're going to ask you to come forward. And what we'd love for you to do is say, you know what? The stuff that I've been holding on to that's holding me back, that's keeping me from having a brand new story, I'm going to leave it right here. And you just leave it up here. And then we're going to invite you to go ahead and take the bread right here. Okay, don't take it back to your seat, but just take it right here. Take the bread and eat it. Take the cup and drink it. It's a reminder saying, I'm saying yes to God's grace. I'm saying yes to God's love. And then before you go back, I want you to trade in that old stick for a new stick. And you go, from now on, I'm not holding on to that stuff anymore, right? I'm not holding on to all that old stuff that holds me back, but instead I'm holding on to this cross. This cross that says, I am forgiven, and I'm also, anything that's unrighteous in my life, cleansed, cleansed from that. We're letting go of the old, and we're holding on to this. All right? In a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. We'll give you the opportunity to get up out of your seat, come forward to your right, come down, drop off that old stick, take communion right here, and hold on to this new stick. All right? Are you with me? All right, let's pray. Father God, I think this is an important moment for a lot of people in this room that maybe for the very first time that they really understand that, 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 that you love us not as, not as we should be but just as we are. That we are truly your children and that you are crazy about us. And that whatever it is from our past that you want to forgive us. Whatever it is from our past that you want to cleanse us from. Whatever it is that we're holding on to that now is the moment we get to let go. To let go of that and to hold on to your cross this point forward. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.